Okay, we'll go ahead and get into the Word of God. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're continuing on in our series on the book of Acts, taking a look at it with a dispensational approach. We've talked about what that means, that the book of Acts is a uh, transitional book, transitioning from the Jewish Old Testament economy and transitioning to the New Testament the church, which is primarily Gentile, uh, we're going to see a transition from the ministry of Peter, Peter being the number one guy, and then Paul is going to take that position. We're going to see that within the next few weeks. Uh, but tonight's message is a little bit more practical, and uh, the theme of this is is uh, a true friend, or I could put it into a question form, what kind of a friend are you? And so we'll begin in Acts chapter 9 and 26 is where we'll start. Last time we studied the book of Acts, we closed by saying that Saul was a basket case. Do you remember that? It's been a few weeks. And that comes from verse uh, 25 there. And the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket so he had to escape uh, the city of Damascus. What happened? Well, remember that originally he was sent to Damascus with letters from Jewish authorities to apprehend any disciples of Christ. They were called followers of the way. So he was looking for them and looking to arrest them. And his aim was to stop the spread of Christianity. He was feared. Saul was a bad guy. Once he hunted the small fledgling church, many were running to hide from him. But now it was the other way around. The hunter became the hunted. And Saul uh, was fleeing for his life. So evidently, as we study this and we learn about it, the Jews turned to favor with the governor of Damascus, and the governor of Damascus sent out a garrison of soldiers to lock the city down and to apprehend this, this gospel preacher. And uh, the only way out was for the disciples to let him down through a window in a basket, he says to the Corinthian church later on when he'd give a testimony to them, from the wall that surrounded the city and he had no chance to get out but to escape secretly. So how humbling, how embarrassing this must have been for Saul. But he would live to preach another day. But my, how things have changed for this man. And by the way, this will be a pattern for the rest of his life. So he was let down through that basket because the Jews were wanting to kill him. And then we'll pick up in verse 26 when Saul was come to Jerusalem. He left Damascus, returned back to Jerusalem, where he was sent out of with the orders to go and stop the spread of Christianity. And uh, he would try to join himself there to the disciples, but the disciples in Jerusalem were afraid of him there. The Lord would give him a friend that would help him, that would stick up for him, to tell everybody he is a real Christian. So God would give him a friend and God does this throughout the ministry of Saul. And tonight, we're going to look at this man. His name is Barnabas. And we're going to see that he was a true friend. And then I want to ask you the question, 
what kind of a friend are you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the Word of God. There's so much here. Lord, uh, there's just layer upon layer upon layer of what's happening. Tonight, I pray that we can take from it a practical message. Lord, um, as we seek to study this book, to get from it the doctrinal meaning and the historical and also the practical, Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this, help us with this question of uh, learning about what a true friend is, asking ourselves if we are uh, a true friend, what kind of a friend are we, and then uh, taking a look around at the friends that we have and trying to decide whether or not they're, they're real friends or not. And I pray that, Lord, that you'd help us in this, help us to be wise concerning who we choose to be our closest friends. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Saul's name would later change to Paul. And he had a tough row to hoe, as the expression goes. Paul suffered so many things for the sake of Christ, as, as we're going to see just the way it goes right at the beginning of his ministry. And I think that's why the Lord gave him friends. Friends to stick up for him. Friends to help him out. Life is hard, right? Um, but God is good. Yeah. And uh, oh, I had the man's name. Who was it that said life is tough and, and life is hard, but it's even harder when you're stupid? Uh, I knew who it was. I wrote it down. Uh, man, I can't remember who it was. But you know what? Here's a biblical way to look at it. Life is hard. It's even harder when you're ignorant of the Bible. Amen. Um, and life is tough. And uh, God gives us friends to help us through this life. And he'll give you a friend if you pray and ask him for one. And, and Saul, he got one. And his first friend, if you remember, was Ananias from chapter 9. Do you remember that? And Ananias spoke up for Saul. He testified that his conversion was real because the early Christians were slow to believe that a man like that could really get saved or would even want to get saved. They didn't think it was real. They thought he was just faking it in order to get closer to them. So tonight, we're going to meet the second friend that the Lord gave him, and that's Barnabas. So let's begin there in verse 26. Now, as we look at this, our first heading is going to be this. Who was Barnabas? Who was Barnabas? Verse 27. Uh, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So Saul had come into Jerusalem. He was trying to attach himself to the church there. They were all afraid. But Barnabas, but Barnabas. So who was this Barnabas? Well, he was somebody that the Lord put into his life. Who, who took him and said, let me help you. Let me introduce you, first of all, to the apostles, the leaders there in the church. And he declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You see, Barnabas said, he's seen the resurrected Lord. And really, that's a, that's a requirement to be an apostle, is to see Jesus. And he said he saw him on the road to Damascus, and it was there that as we studied, it was there when he saw Jesus that he was converted. It was not later, three days later at his baptism, but it was there that very moment, Saul was suddenly and dramatically converted in Acts chapter 8. 
And he was heading to Damascus, yes, to hunt down the, the disciples, and yes, to, to, to stamp out the church and to destroy Christianity. But when he, was, when he was going there, he was converted and changed by the Lord, and the Lord uh, called him to preach. And he went to Damascus, and he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Folks, that's a sign of a real gospel preacher. A real gospel preacher is bold when he preaches. That's good gospel Bible preaching. We want bold preachers. God give America bold preachers. Men who will stand up and just proclaim with power and with authority, thus saith the Lord, and declare that, yes, you have... 2,000 years of history behind you, of Old Testament history, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. That's the way he preached. He would, he would, he would preach Christ to a crowd that uh, was antagonistic. He, ha- he, didn't, he wasn't preaching to the choir. And he wasn't this sort of... Uh, you know, uh, this soft tone kind of a, you know, a fireside chat, you know, I just want to rap with you and we're just going to dialogue, you know, I just want to find out where you're coming from and I'll tell you where I'm coming from and hey, you know, if you want to, no, he wasn't like that. He preached the word. That's the kind of preacher that I want to be. And let me tell you something. I believe that anyone who's truly called, any man who's truly called and filled with the spirit will be this sort of preacher. He's got to be sent to seminary where they go and take away his uh, sword from him and give him a butter knife and change him into a a cream-filled Twinkie and, you know, just send him out and he doesn't have any power anymore because they've talked him out of that kind of thing. They'll actually tell preachers in seminary that you don't want to be confrontational, you know. Don't be harsh now. Don't do that. And what you want to do is you want to talk with a pleasant tone and people don't want you yelling at them anymore. And back in World War II, people would just stand up and say, yes, sir, what's my orders? And then go ahead and, and go. And, and if you say jump, I say how high. That's the way it was back in World War II. People could take that kind of an authoritarian type of a figure. But today things are different. And I say to that, baloney. Nonsense. Nonsense. We all know when we hear a real preacher and we hear him stand up and, and just preach, we love it, don't we? And uh, I know I'm not like that, but I, a great example would be George Griffiths from uh, Camp Victory, Somerset. That man has wore his, his lungs and his vocal cords completely out. He hardly has a voice anymore because he's just preached and given it everything that he had. That's the kind of man that Saul was. You know why? Because he was God called. Because he was filled with the Spirit. And he boldly. So uh, he was willing. What, I think what Barnabas is saying is that, that he, he took a stand for Jesus. And it was a stand that, uh, that cost him. His boldness uh, made some enemies. But, you know, he just went about preaching in the name of Jesus. Did everybody get saved? Did everybody get saved? No. But you know what we're called to do? We're just called to sow the seed. That's our job, is just to get it out. Get the gospel out. Did you ever wonder, what's the purpose of all this? Why do we meet here? Why do we do this? Why do we go on week after week? Why should you keep coming? Why should we do this? Well, I'll tell you, if we're not getting the gospel out, there is no purpose. 
We're missing the main thing if we don't do that. But I'll tell you what happens is when we meet like this, Sunday morning is supposed to be a gospel service. At least that's the way it is in the way we do things. Sunday morning is a gospel service. We get the gospel out. But uh, are we supposed to stay in these four walls? Are we going to reach Racine, let alone the county, let alone America? <laughs> you know, If we stay inside these four walls, let's just think about Racine. No, sinners are not going to drive by here and just say, you know what? I think I'm going to go in there and just find out what this is all about. No, they're not going to do that. We've got to go after them. We've got to go and preach the gospel to them and do it boldly, not apologizing for ourselves, but to go and to preach the gospel. Just to get the gospel out, you say, well, what if they don't like me? What if they don't receive it? That's not your responsibility. Our job is just to sow the word, just to sow the seeds. Somebody else will water them. The Lord will give the increase. And that's what he did. Saul went into an area. He would preach the gospel. Some would believe. Many would not. And those who believed would stick with him. And he would form them into a church. And then they had the responsibility to evangelize their city. That's our job. Wednesday night, I want to talk about that. How can we evangelize Racine? Well, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom, but I'll tell you this. Every, everyone with two legs, every creature with two legs in Racine needs at least to have a chance to hear the gospel from us. You say, that's somebody else's responsibility. Why do you say that? You say, well, that's another church's responsibility. If they're Methodist, it's a Methodist church's responsibility. Who told you that? You didn't get that from the Bible. I know the Holy Spirit didn't tell you that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And there are people whose lives you, you touch and you cross paths with, and they're in your life, and you need to feel a responsibility to get the gospel to them. Amen. It's easier, I think, a lot of times, at least for me, with strangers. We ought to be out. We ought to canvas Racine, Letart, Syracuse. We had to canvas them with the gospel. That is, that we can put hangers on their doors with the invitation to church and a gospel track in there. That's a good start. We ought to have, uh, you know, invite people on a bus route to church. That's a, that's a great plan. Starting a Bible study. I don't think that Syracuse has a real gospel witness. What about starting a, a midweek Bible study there during the day? For people and inviting them to come. People have done that many times in cities that don't have a gospel witness. And you at least have some people coming in and you have the gospel. And then the gospel will go out from that Bible study. Bring in people who are interested. It might grow into something. I'm saying there's different ways to do it. And then knocking on doors and say, listen, I'm here uh, from Antiquity Baptist Church. I want to introduce myself to you. I want to let you know that we're here and that we're here, you know, to... uh, to tell you about Jesus Christ and about the gospel, and you ask people, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And you say, they won't know what that means. That's, that's okay. That's a good starter for a conversation. Some people say, don't ask people if they're saved. They don't know what it means. No, it's a good question. Give them a track. Say, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And you're going to find out if that door is open or not. And if that door is not open, don't try to kick it open. Just say, all right, well, you know, I just want to let you know 
who we are, introduce ourselves, and uh, if you need anything from us, the number's there. You can call us, and you're always welcome. You have a warm welcome to come join us in our services, and then let it go if they're not interested. But see, folks, it's our responsibility to be bold, not to be scared and cowering and hiding, saying, well, I don't know how to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Well, try it. Go out and mess up and make a mistake and then come back and say, you know what? I've realized what I did wrong there. I'm going to fix it. Next time I'm going to go out and try it again. Somebody stumps you with a question you don't know how to answer. You just say, you know what? I don't know how to answer that question, but I'll try my best to get you an answer to that. And then you go away and you say, well, I, I didn't know the answer to that one. You figure out the answer and you go back at it again and again and again and again and keep giving out the gospel. We can't do it all in here. Did I lay it on thick enough? Amen. Amen. So this year we're going to do some of that stuff. We want to do that. Heard about a man that was out in the open air preaching down in Pomeroy. Lord willing, I'm going to do that this this year. Looking forward to uh, to spring and and our Easter services. That's a great time to invite people in. Um. And it's a great time to meet new people that we wouldn't ordinarily come to church. But after that, I want to have a revival meeting, a spring revival. And I want to get that preacher to fire us up. And then I want to start that bus ministry. And I want to start doing that. It's a great way to reach people. And I just want to do something to get out there and boldly proclaim the gospel. So he preached in the name of Jesus 28, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas is sticking up for, for Saul. And you know, Barnabas' name, you might have a note there in your study Bible. His name meant a son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Uh, do you know anyone like that in your life? They just have a gift for lifting you up, for picking you up for uh, encouraging you. The, the, the apostles saw this in this Barnabas back in chapter 4, verse 36. I mean, he was just this way. He just had a gift. This man was just, he was just equipped with a God-given gift to be an encourager, to strengthen people, to leave them better than what he found them. So back in chapter 4, verse 36, the apostles noting this about him, surnamed him, Barnabas, his name was Joseph, and they surnamed him Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, or in other words, we would say encouragement. He was a Levite, he was the country of Cyprus. And so this man is noted for this, his first mention is that he was just that kind of a guy. And you know, he was useful in the work of the Lord because of it. I've known some people in my life, I believe that they're rare, but I believe they are great examples and that all of us should strive to try to be that way. But people, there are some people who are just particularly gifted at being an encourager. And boy, do we ever need it. Saul needed it because Saul had a tough ministry. He would suffer many things for the work of the Lord. And so God said, I can use Barnabas, I can use this guy, he's very useful to me because I can bring him up next to somebody else who needs to be encouraged. They need somebody to stick up for him, need somebody to say a word for him, somebody to get him in where they couldn't get in. And God just puts him into his life like that. And you know, God will do that for us. Think about times in your life when God brought somebody into your life and when you were down, they helped to pick you up. Or when you needed a friend, they were there and they helped you and they sacrificed something that cost them to help you. They, they stood up for you and, 
spoke up for you. If you find somebody like that in your life, first of all, recognize this is a gift to me. God is doing this. God is giving me a friend. And when you find a friend like that, keep them. Because you know what I know about friends? You don't get many of them. Not true friends. And if you have a friend lifelong, you really have something. Because that doesn't happen. Uh, not ordinarily, to have a lifelong friend. You might have a, li- you might have a friend who's just a friend with you just for a little time, but if you, if you have somebody like that, you ought to thank the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for bringing somebody like this into my life. And then we ought to say, Lord, I want to be like that because I want to be useful in the work of the ministry. I want to be an encourager. I want to be like Barnabas. Barnabas helped him, helped him to get into the church there. And helped him several times. And God used Barnabas to put, Bar- to put Paul right back on track with where he was supposed to be, which I hope that we see before the end of this message. But you know, I want to be like a Barnabas. I was around my brother um, in Florida. And sometimes a Barnabas, somebody who's truly gifted, they can get down. They can get down. Because uh, just the things that we go through in life. My brother... He's been down with everything he's been going through with his wife. But you know, I get around him and I'm listening to him talk about his wife. And, and he says that he's suffering through this. And he says, you know, it's just, it's just nice when sometimes people just listen and let me just talk about it. He said, I don't want to talk about it all the time. But most people think I don't want to talk about it, period. So they avoid it. And he said, it's just nice when somebody lets me talk about it and then just acknowledges how much it must hurt and how hard it must be. He said, that's really all I want from people. And uh, so I was listening to him and trying to acknowledge his pain and, and what he's going through. And, and you know, I, it just never fails. Every time I'm around him, I want to be a blessing to him, but he's always a blessing to me. He's always a bigger blessing to me, just encouraging me. He'll encourage me in the things that are right. Try to counsel me in the things that are a little bit off, you know, and and try to bring my thinking back into the scriptures and talk to me about, uh, you know, the ministry here. And you know what he said to me about my ministry here in this church? Because I told him, I said, said, sometimes I really struggle. Sometimes I don't even know if I should be a pastor. Maybe I should just be an evangelist and stuff because I don't know how good I am with people and all this kind of stuff. Just uh, having one of those times, you know. It, when I first got here, the first two years, I think I quit every Monday. Amen. Uh, so, you know, he said, he said this, he said, those people, what they need from you is they need you to pray for them and they need you to be, uh, a man of the word and to go and teach and preach the Bible. He said, if you can do that and visit them when they're sick and when they're down, they're not going to expect much more out of you than that. Just be the real thing. You know what? It's so simple, but coming from him, it was just like consolation. It was like encouragement. I just needed somebody to just kind of like Screw my head back on straight and just go that way. You know, and God can do that. God gives us people like that. And it makes me want to be a Barnabas. Our second heading is a brother is born for adversity. We can see Saul's adversity in verses 28 through 30. I'm just going to read those. When he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed, Saul did, disputed against the Grecians. Now, who were the Grecians? These were Greek Jews, Greek Jews. They were born outside of Judea, the the real Jewish area around Jerusalem. They were born outside of that in Gentile territory. So they had Greek 
customs and culture, and they dressed like a Greek, talked like a Greek, and so on, but they had come back to uh, the land. And so he would go and dispute against them. Uh, but again, that's a good preacher. Amen. If something's not right, it's wrong. Uh, the gospel corrects uh, religion and worldly philosophies and so on. But anyways, but they went about to slay him. He's in trouble again. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Now, down is meaning they came down in elevation. And Caesarea is actually on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, actually north, uh, northwest. So they brought him to Caesarea where he would take a ship and go to Tarsus across the Mediterranean Sea to his hometown and you can see that he's in trouble again. This is adversity. And my, my second heading is a brother is born for adversity. Barnabas was there to help him through this. So my heading comes from Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. It says, a friend loveth at all times. Listen to this. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, they were spiritual brothers. You know what that verse means? It means that a brother's love or a friend's love will be especially seen in adversity. Let me say that another way. You'll find out who your true friends are when you go through some hard times, when you go through some troublesome times, when you really need them. You'll find out who your friends are. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This was true of this son of encouragement, Barnabas. You know, um, Saul said that he was often in peril. Many people wanted to kill him. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he would say of his own ministry, he was in journeyings often in perils of waters and perils of robbers. It means his life was in danger. And perils by mine own countrymen, he said, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. And this brother, Barnabas, he was born for adversity. He was born to help Paul through this, to encourage him through troubled times. You know, our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, persecuted like Paul was during his ministry, they need encouragement and they need protected by other believers wherever possible. And in America, we know very little about those kind of perils. You know, my life is not in danger because I'm a gospel preacher. My greatest danger is that people won't like me because I speak the truth. And my greatest danger is probably discouragement. That's the big one that takes guys out of the ministry. Uh, I'm probably not going to be persecuted for what I preach and teach at this time in America. But there are people like Saul and there are preachers around the world and Christians that do understand persecution. And they need this brother that's born for adversity. They need a, a, a Barnabas in their life. Um, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom released a report on China just recently talking about Chinese Christian persecution. The report noted, quote, this is from the report, official campaigns to sinicize religion have disproportionately adverse impact on Christianity. The report goes on to say state-controlled religious organizations have been involved in 
altering, censoring, and controlling the content of religious texts such as the Bible. The Chinese communists are even rewriting the Bible for people. If you know anything about what the Bible says about somebody who changes the words of God, those are fearful uh, actions right there, fearful words in the, in the Bible. Um, and here's an example of this kind of uh, persecution. People who refuse to go along with the Chinese Communist Party's interpretation of their religion, they face severe persecution. And rather than try to share a bunch of grueling details, I thought I would just kind of tell you how this is happening in China. They're producing their own Bible, and of course they get it all wrong. And um, they were changing um, John chapter 8, where Jesus has the woman taken in adultery, and they actually make Jesus... A sinner. He, he claims to be a sinner in John chapter 8 in the Communist Bible in China. And he has the woman stoned for adultery. What is that? It's another Jesus. That's another Christ other than the one in the Bible. And that is tampering with the words of God. Revelation 22 says that that person will be damned. Anathema for that. If anyone adds to these words, you know, the plagues of that book would be added to them. And their name would be taken out of the book of life and so on. There are ministries like the Voice of the Martyrs. You ever heard of that? These Voice of the Martyrs uh, people, they serve the persecuted church all over the world. And they want to encourage them. And if you follow any of that, you find out that Christians who are persecuted for their faith are very discouraged. Especially women who, whose husbands are preaching the gospel or who are deacons in churches and who are arrested and beaten to death or shot out on the streets or uh, taken into a, a prison to never be seen again and to starve to death and to be denied their, their, the care of their family to come and see them and bring them food. The women that go through this kind of stuff, they really, really struggle. You ought to read some of these stories that might stir your heart to pray for your persecuted brothers or sisters. What people are going through just on the other side of the world right now in the 21st century, it's, it's saddening. But uh, the voice of the martyrs, they are encouragers. And Barnabas, you know, he was sent actually to a persecuted church in Antioch. I won't elaborate on this, but if you're interested in it, you could look at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 22, and he was sent there to be like that. He was kind of like a voice of the martyr style ministry to go there and to encourage them. We'll look at that when we get there in our study. My last heading is this. The Lord had other plans for Saul in verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. When did they get rest? When Saul was out of the picture. When the Lord moved him out of there. Because he was stirring up such controversy and such trouble. uh, That the Lord moved him up to Damascus. And really it wasn't even the Lord's will that he be there in the first place. I want to show you that and then we'll close. So the Lord had other plans for him. Uh, If you compare... Chapter 22, I'd like you to look at that. Acts chapter 22. And he says himself that when he got to Jerusalem, remember he's, he's in Jerusalem now in this portion of Acts, and he's uh, there and he's going into the synagogues and he's disputing with the Grecians. But when he got to Jerusalem, the Lord gave him a vision and said, I don't want you here. They're not going to receive your ministry. The Lord said, I I want you to to go elsewhere. I have other plans for you. So in verse 17, 
It came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, what we're reading about in Acts chapter 9, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. So he comes into Jerusalem. He goes up to the temple, obviously to witness to the Jews. He's praying there. And he fell into a trance. And this is like a dream that you have in the daytime. This is a miraculous thing that God did. And he saw him saying unto me, and he saw, Saul saw Jesus again, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. They're not going to hear it from you. And I said, now he's going to argue with him. It's kind of funny, huh? Did you ever argue with the Lord? Lord, I, I think you want me to do this, but, you know. And I said, Lord, they know not that I they know not, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And by the way, when he said that in that company, that was like a bomb going off. That set everybody off because that was a very controversial word. The Gentiles. So the Lord said, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your testimony is pretty impressive, but I'm God and I know what's going to happen. And they're not going to receive your testimony. You see, the Lord didn't plan on having Saul reach the Jewish people. His plan for him was to send him out to the Gentiles. Everybody else that's not a Jew. Paul's ministry is a ministry to the Gentiles, and he would learn that he was, in fact, the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. That means that you do not go to Peter for your doctrine for the church in the 21st century. We do not go to Peter for our doctrine. We go to Paul for our doctrine. Very very important, that statement. Follow Paul, even as he follows Christ. And so the Lord had other plans for him. And that means that he actually got out of God's will right in the beginning of his ministry. The Lord had a directive will for him. And you know what he did? He got out of God's will. He, he was in the perfect will of God and he got out of it. He got into something else and God permitted it to happen. So what you have is you have God's directive will and you have God's permissive will. And I don't know where you are tonight, but if Saul can get out of God's will, we can get out of God's will, right? And the thing is, is to pray, Lord, give me wisdom and help me to know where your perfect will is. You say, how am I going to figure it out? Start right here. Start reading the Bible daily if you're not doing it. And God will speak to you as you don't do the whole uh, lucky dip method, the Russian roulette method. You know, it's like this. What? I need something today. I need something today, Lord. There it is. Don't do that. Read through the, the Bible systematically and God will be prepared to speak to you about just what you need, just when you need it. So the Lord had other plans for him. He was supposed to go to the Gentiles and you know, He didn't know it at the time, and neither did Barnabas. 
But actually where the Lord was going to move him was up to his hometown, Damascus, up to uh, Tarsus. And then the Lord would move Barnabas from Jerusalem up to the church in Antioch in Syria. And then the Lord would tell Barnabas, Barnabas, go get Saul. So Barnabas would go over to get Saul from Tarsus, bring him back to Antioch. And from that church, the Lord would go from the main church, the mother church being Jerusalem, to the church of the New Testament being Antioch. No longer Jerusalem, but now Antioch would correct Jerusalem on their doctrine. And from Antioch, where Barnabas and Saul was, they would go out to all the world. It was the first missionary sending church. It was the first Bible teaching church. And it was the first church to produce the scriptures that this Bible is based on. The Syrian text. The copies of the copies of the copies of the copies of the, uh, of the apostles' original autographs came from Antioch. Antioch was the first place where disciples were called Christians. Acts chapter 11. It's a big deal. From the rest of the book of Acts, what we're going to see is we're going to see that the Lord... Uh, takes Peter out of the number one position, replaces him with Paul. But we're learning along the way that the Lord is giving him a helper. His name is Barnabas. And Barnabas and uh, Paul would actually go out to be missionaries together because you know what? We're not supposed to go alone when we go and witness for Jesus. We're not supposed to do it alone. If you want to be a witness, get a prayer partner. Get a visiting partner. Get somebody to be with you on it a spouse, a friend, do that. Let me ask you a question just devotionally. Barnabas is a great example of what it means to be a true friend. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What kind of friends do you have? Think about your friends because it's important. One of the most important decisions that you can make in life after getting saved is choosing the right friends to be your closest friends. Then choosing the right person to be your spouse. Then choosing, you know, the right church, uh, where you're going to work, buying a home. There's a lot of important decisions in life. But right there in the beginning is that one about choosing who's going to be your closest friends. Because you know what? Like produces like. You become like the people you spend time with. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. What kind of friends do you have? Do you have a friend that loveth at all times? A friend that's there in adversity? A brother's love or a friend's love and friendship will be seen in troubled times. So if you say, Lord, what kind of friends do I have? Show me. He'll he'll show you. And think about when you were in a hard time in your life. How did your friends respond? Do you have fair-weather friends, the kind of friend that does not love at all times? A fair-weather friend is a friend who only comes around in good times. In times of adversity, a fair-weather friend is nowhere to be found. A fair-weather friend cannot be counted on. And you'll find with that sort of a friend who's really uh, you know, friend like no friend at all, uh, they can't be counted on, and when times are tough, they're, they're not there for you. You'll find that you're actually working harder at your friendship than they are. 
You're making all the calls. You're going to see them. They never call you. They never come to see you. You remember their birthdays. You buy them gifts. It's not a competition, but I'm trying to help you to discover who your true friends are. They might be looking at you because there's a benefit to being your friend. A fair-weather friend wants an easy friendship that doesn't cost them anything. If your life gets too dramatic, they'll bail out. The kind of a so-called friend that is a fair-weathered friend, he only looks at himself. He's only concerned with himself. Eventually, he shows his true colors. And if you have somebody like this in your life, maybe you should find new friends. Maybe you should invest your life in somebody else who wants to be your friend. Not just because the benefits are equal, but because you need a true friend. A true friend is there. A true friend will sacrifice to help you. A true friend will stick up for you. And you should do the same for them if you got one like that. A true friend will stand by you when nobody else can. You want to know how you're going to find out who your true friends are? Live godly in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you live godly, you'll be persecuted. Witness. Tell all your friends about Jesus. Don't hide it from them. And the ones who are still with you when you get done, they're true friends. Even if they don't get saved, you can still be friends with them. Even if they don't get saved, but they're still with you. I got a friend like that. Amen? And uh, do you got a friend like that? You've witnessed to them, and they're not really into it, but they'll listen, and they're still your friend. That's a, that's a true friend, and keep praying for him, because I had a friend like that for years. He did not get saved. He was religious, but not saved, and then finally, just the right place at the right time, and he got into church, and he got saved, and got things settled, and he told me that once he got into that church, he realized he wasn't saved and he got it settled. And we're still friends today. And so I want to take care of that one. I want to keep him as a friend. And I want you to ask this question. What kind of friend are you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for the Word of God. Lord, um, the best way that we could be a friend uh, to sinners, to people who are lost, is to give them the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do that, to be bold. I know that it's not within myself. Um, some people are more bold than others, but, Lord, I know that I need you to give me courage. I pray that you'd give us Holy Spirit courage. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to survey our friendships and, and examine them. And, Lord, to, uh, to see who is a true friend and who isn't. And Lord, help us to give most of our time and invest most into the people who are true friends and to just uh, distance ourselves from the others who, who may not be a good influence in our lives and ultimately won't be good friends anyways. Help us, Lord. Give us good friends. Help us to be like Barnabas. Use us to encourage someone else. Use us to be more concerned about others. Uh, show us uh, someone that we can help pick up when they've fallen down or someone we can stick up for and someone that we can just be there to help them fit in or get into something that they wouldn't get into otherwise. And Lord, um, 
I pray for each one here, Lord, uh, and it's a good prayer. Give us a Barnabas. Give me a Barnabas. And Lord, help us to be good friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.